Blog Talk Radio. This is BC Radio Live with Philip and Eric. Live online at blogtalkradio.com slash bcradio. Aloha. This is February 6, 2008, and this is BC Radio Live. Tonight on the show, Roz Michelle. His new documentary film is Skid Row. Also, Paul Reznikov, Digital Music News, will join us to talk about music on the Internet. The chat room is now open at blogtalkradio.com slash bcradio, and the live video feed is now running. I am Philip Wynn, Chief Speak at BC Magazine, and I am joined tonight by Eric Moulton, founder and publisher of BC Magazine. Hi, Eric. Hi, Philip. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. We are also joined tonight by Lisa McKay, executive producer of BC Magazine. Welcome, Lisa. Hey, how are you? I'm doing pretty well. I, I actually had a, a, an interesting week, and then I came home and I found out that something like 53 people are uh, dead as a result of tornadoes throughout uh, certain parts of the country, and I decided my day was pretty darn good after all. Yeah, that's perspective. <laughs> yeah, it really does give you perspective. My friends, my good friends, the Hersicks, who uh, I know all the way back to uh, worked with after my senior year of high school, so you can remember. You you can calculate how long ago that was if you know how old I am, which is pretty old. And uh, anyway, they moved down to Nashville, and uh, I think Philip and Lisa will remember I did a story about them. I guess it's already a couple years ago, but their house was destroyed by the tornadoes that came through Nashville. They'd only lived there about a year and a half, and uh, just wiped out the whole house, just gone. And um, his uh, uh, wife, Carolyn, uh, who was the only one home at the time, thank goodness, uh, made it down into the basement with the dog and... But, I mean, she was really traumatized by the whole thing. And, I mean, it really was just an amazing thing. And, and the pictures they sent me, uh, it's just unbelievable. So, um, you know, it just shows you that, in a sense, they were lucky because they had insurance. The house was rebuilt. They got on with their lives. Sure, they lost a lot of things that will never be replaced. But um, but no one was injured and uh, certainly no one was killed. And, yeah, I mean, it really gives you perspective. And I was just thinking that's quite analogous to uh, to our our talk with Praz because his film is really about all about perspective and uh, how we view our lives and most of us leave relatively comfortable lives and uh, but there's a whole set of people who do not. Right now I'm still uh, looking for Praz to call into the show, uh, so hopefully he'll show up soon and we don't have time zone difficulties. Uh, but but it is a really interesting project. Um, Basically, the, the idea behind Skid Row, of course, Proz has had a, a pretty long career in music with the Fugees and um, solo projects. He's been in a few movies. In fact, he, he had a very small part in one of my favorite movies, Mystery Men, although I, I'm, not sure he's, uh, I'm not sure he'd call that his proudest role. Um, but, th- but this project is really interesting. He, uh, he lived as a homeless person on the streets of L.A. for nine days, so I do hope we get a chance to talk to him about it. Now, have you... You live in Ohio, and you live in the Northeast, Lisa. I, I live in Dallas. I, I used to live in San Diego, and um, that was earthquake territory. And it was it was funny to me because people from all around the country, finding out I lived in Southern California, would say, oh, I could never live with all those earthquakes. And I would turn around and say, I could never live with all those tornadoes and 
hurricanes and, and things like that. And, of course, now I live where there, there really are no earthquakes, but I guess there is some risk of tornado. And I don't know, maybe now that I live here, the earthquakes scare me a little more. They didn't really bother me while I was there. It's really funny, I, not in a really ha-ha humorous way, but I, I was thinking about this, too, what you're talking about. There's almost nowhere, probably on Earth for that matter, but in the U.S., where there's not some fairly obvious and fairly reoccurring, regularly reoccurring natural disaster. You know, you have earthquakes on the West Coast and a few other spots, but primarily the West Coast, and they can be devastating. And I, too, am from L.A. originally or from Southern California, so I went through them. I, I sure remember when I moved back to California after I'd been in Ohio for 10 years, I moved back after I graduated college and had a job and was out on my own and everything. We lived in a house. I lived with my cousin and a couple other guys. We had a big house that we were renting. And uh, I remember this was one of my first days of work, you know, my real job, wearing a tie. I worked at TRW as a corporate guy. And I had the radio on. It's morning. I'm getting dressed. And all of a sudden I hear the announcer on the radio going, ah, this is a real one. Wow, I'm shaking all over the place here. And meanwhile, uh, it, it, there was about a second or two delay, and then I had one leg in my pants, and, the, and I was trying to get the other one in. So I had my, like a flamingo, you know, with one leg up, trying to get in my pants. And the earthquake hit and just knocked me over, and I went rolling all the way across the room. I'm tangled up in my pants. Everything's an incredible mess. And it was, <laughs> it, it hit with force. Oh, yeah, they have earthquakes here. I had a few that I remembered from my, my early childhood. I remember being on my parents' bed, and the, uh, the, the chandelier above their bed was shaking violently, and I put a pillow over my head. I can't remember where they were. But, uh, you know, here in Ohio, uh, we have tornadoes, too. Usually it's a shorter season, a little bit different season from the south. We're, we typically aren't going to get them in the wintertime, although we've had such odd weather, and now we get periodic warm spells and uh so th there actually have been some up here this time of year uh we we were at 57 i think yesterday and then it's going to be a high of 10 in a day or two so that shows you the range but you know everywhere you go uh, on the east coast of course you have danger of hurricanes and um in, in anywhere in the mountains you got you know snow issues and avalanches and I mean, you pretty much can't escape. I'm sure there's some spots that don't have any particular recurring natural disasters, but I can't really think of where they are. Uh, I, I still think I prefer the earthquakes because you can't really do anything about them. It's not like you have to worry about them. They, they come, they go, they're short. You either die or you don't die, and I, I think that's pretty much it. It's the, uh, it's the dread and the anticipation, the taping up the windows, the stocking up your supplies, making sure you've got places in the house to stand or sit and hide out from tornadoes that, that bugs me. <laughs> yeah, I, I, that's not fun. Um, and, and I remember a few years ago here, usually don't come you know, quite this far north, but uh, just, just down the road from us in, in uh, Twinsburg, it's kind of the next town over, um, a tornado hit a few years ago and uh, just destroyed a few houses. So that's not, not far from here at all. It's uh, it's a pretty scary thing. Yeah, I I guess I just choose to kind of block it out. I mean, if if I really literally heard that it was coming, then of course we'd go to the basement, which we do have, fortunately. 
The other thing that reminds me when when you hear all this, because you know, so often the fatalities are at mobile home parks, and it, man, there's just no way I would live in the mid south in a flipping mobile home. I'd dig a hole in the ground first. I just wanted to make that statement. <laughs> Yeah, just uh, just check for an update. It looks like 54 people in uh, Alabama, Arkansas, Kentucky, and Tennessee, and that's one more than earlier tonight when I checked it. So they're they're still recovering. They've uh, they've got a note here of someone was driving in a car in Tennessee, and and the twister picked up the car and and threw it. Why don't we that, give that, the call in number uh, in case anyone's uh, out there, and uh, perhaps even our good friend Praz is there. I, I'm. I'm Verified all this today, so I'm pretty sure we're on top of it. Uh, hopefully, it's sure, just no a, hopefully it's just a delay. But the phone number, the call-in number is, and we welcome anyone out there listening to give us a call and check in and say hi. Is six four six five nine five three one nine five. As Paul, excuse me, as Philip mentioned, we also have Paul Resnikoff, who's going to come on in the neighborhood at nine thirty. I suppose if you're listening. Paul, you could call in now, and we can always rearrange and go on the fly. Again, that call-in number is 646-595-3195. We'll be talking to Paul. He's been producing the digital music news. I've been getting that daily, that email. It's so helpful for, for years now. I think he started pretty close to the time that we did, some somewhere in the early 00s, because I know it's been been putting it out for quite a while and we talk periodically and he's really done well that it. it's really grown uh, originally it was just him kind of doing fairly random news reports and and his opinion on things to now where it's quite comprehensive and covers the digital music world and kind of anything that may touch upon that from rights issues legal issues business issues just kind of everything that's going on as music slowly but surely transitions from a an analog to a digital media and various ways of receiving it, listening to it, trading it, swapping it, sending it back and forth, all the legal issues, the technical issues and and the business business issues. So it's it's really interesting and it really uh, I'd recommend to anyone to uh, to go by the site, just digitalmusicnews.com, and sign up for that daily newsletter, or else just check out the site on a regular basis. It's really, really well done. Look forward to talking with Paul in a bit. Yeah, they've got a they've got a nice list of uh, news that you know. Some of it, I, I actually wonder just exactly how peripherally it's uh, it's devoted to digital new digital music. But I suppose, for example, stories on the Pirate Bay. Uh, the uh, popular uh, site for downloading of often illegal copyrighted content. Uh, I suppose that is related, <laughs> as well as uh, information on Aretha Franklin. There's some licensing. There's Sony, BMG, and MTV. Uh, band news with the plain white tees. I mean, it looks like they they do cover just about everything from indie to mainstream and and technology and so on and so forth. I'm being told in the chat room that I need to cheer up. I'm terribly sorry. <laughs> uh, it is, it is uh, in fact, a good day. It is, uh, for me, it is Ash Wednesday. It's the beginning of a, a season of, I think, uh, official moroseness for Christians. This is the beginning of, of Lent. 
Uh, we actually spend the next uh, 40 days uh, plus Sundays uh, leading up to Easter contemplating death, actually. So, so that, that's an interesting day on which to find these reports of, uh, of you know, tornadoes and, and, and that sort of death. I'm not sure that's the sort of mortality we're supposed to consider during this season, but uh, it, it led to some interesting dinnertime conversations with my daughters. That really is a long lead-up. Man, I, I can't even really think about Easter. I mean, that just seems <laughs> way, way too far off to be to be getting into that mode. But, hey, you know, the church has got to have something going on at all times. That's what that church calendar is for. I'll tell you what, Philip, why don't you um, – I'm thinking, do I have to – well, I'm going to get uh, – put me on hold or whatever you do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put this line – on hold, and I'm going to call out on the other line and see if I can get a hold of um, the the PR woman who set this up. You so go right you guys, ahead. You guys chat among yourselves. I will be gone. Just a moment. Well, there we go. And Lisa, this actually is a good opportunity to get you uh, to get you talking tonight. To get me talking. Well, that will be exciting. <laughs> um, did you let me ask you something? As as a resident of Texas, did you? feel a little left out of the Super Tuesday doings yesterday? I really did. I, I I try not to get super involved in politics because I care just a little too much about it. Uh-huh. And um, so I, I've tried to, like, you know, not, not get too excited about uh, various uh, delegate counts and so on. But I, I was really kind of bummed out. I, I thought, gosh, you know, we don't, uh, we don't have our primary till March 5th. And here, everything will be decided by then. Of course, now I find out it, it's not decided, not for either party, in fact. So yeah. I, I may still get a chance to make a difference at some point, but, uh, you know, less so than everybody did yesterday. Yeah. It, it was, was actually – I'm sorry. It was pretty exciting to actually take part in that. I mean, I, I know that uh, we have a tiny little state with a tiny little number of delegates, and, you know, this isn't exactly the place where elections are won or lost, but it was kind of neat to go to the polls and – do my civic duty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, it was it was interesting because uh, yesterday was my wife's birthday, and so I told her the day before. I said I'm not going to be uh, re- you know mindlessly refreshing uh, CNN.com and MSNBC.com and checking all those poll results. Uh, you know I, I'm I'm going to spend time with you and and not obsess over these kinds of things. And she said, Oh, that's sweet. And then uh, after dinner, uh, I was trying to sit and uh, not refresh poll results, not even check poll results. And she starts announcing to me, oh, it looks like Obama won this state. Oh, it looks like McCain won that state. Oh, and I was like, will you stop it? So that didn't, that didn't last all night. I finally, I finally started obsessively refreshing websites and checking video streams just like uh, every other year. <laughs> well, you know, to me, maybe, maybe it's an age thing because I, I grew up at a time when – you know, little little girls back in the in the fifties and sixties when I was growing up didn't really have a whole lot of career options open to them. Sure. And if you if you weren't going to be a mommy, people pretty much assumed you might be a school teacher or a nurse or a secretary. And there's just something about this election cycle that's just so historic. And I think on the one hand, it's good that people aren't sort of noticing it because maybe it means we've gotten past having to notice those things. Mm-hmm. But, damn, I'm kind of excited that there's a woman, and a woman of my generation, no less, who's actually making a serious bid for the presidency. 
Now, if I'm not mistaken, she made an appearance at a university that you're very familiar with a few days ago, did she not? She did, in fact. Uh, she was at a very small gathering at the uh, the Child Study Center at Yale uh, here in New Haven. And, of course, you know that uh, she and Bill have obviously DPAO connections since they both went to law school here. But um, she spoke with... Um, a very small group of uh, professional women at the Child Study Center here, and I actually heard, uh, I heard sort of secondhand from someone who was there that she was really, really impressive to speak with in a in a small group setting like that. Interesting. Yeah, I. It, it's funny you talk about you know should we notice should we not have to notice. Um, I, I I deal with people. I mean, this is Texas. So for all that, I, I, I want to tell the world that Texas is not populated entirely by people like George Bush. Um, you know, there, there is still a, a certain amount of uh, redneckish behavior going on with, uh, with some people. And I was really intrigued to note that, you know, I've, I've got people I never would have thought would have considered it are, are, are trying to decide whether to vote for, you know, say, Obama or McCain. And, and the idea that Obama's even on the list just boggles my mind. Yeah. Eric, you're back on the line. Hello. Good. Wonderful swell. Um, yeah, I, I called. I don't know. I'm guessing it's a, even though I, I, I really made a big issue out of the, now you know we're talking Eastern time here now, three hours time difference, Eastern time. I'm guessing that's potentially the issue, but I mean, I verified it. I mean, we, we had three verification emails just today, so... One can only imagine what's going on, but yeah, I, ju I just heard what you were saying. I, I the election, and, and we could certainly talk about that for a bit. I mean, it's really fascinating on several levels. Um, Dawn did some really great research, and she found a site called GlassBooth.com. Yeah, you guys heard about that? Yeah, yeah, I saw that. I saw an email from Dawn actually. Yeah. It's really interesting, and if you haven't done it, go to the site and and fill out your profile. And I did, and I was astonished to find I was 81% uh, in commonality with Obama. I, I mean, I really never would have guessed that. I, I really was quite surprised because, um, you know, we clearly, he and I clearly have some, some key differences, but apparently have a lot of underlying commonalities as well. And I guess that makes me sort of a... I guess I really am the um, kind of the defense liberal. I, I, I thought I had. Uh, I mean, I'm definitely considered conservative. I would conservative. I would think in the matter of of uh, free trade and general economic policy, I'm definitely a free trader and for as open as as is feasible. Obviously, there's no such thing anymore, literally, as free trade. But as open as is feasible, uh, I'm definitely in favor of. And um, but anyway, yeah, it was really interesting because even though I have kind of come around again, I've come around full circle, and I'm I'm back um, uh, pretty pretty strongly behind the war again now because it looks like the surge really has worked, and uh, I'm not sure what the alternative alternatives are at this point other than following through with it and doing the best we can. I had a I had a couple of years there in the middle. A long period where I was sort of wandering in the wilderness because things really did look bad and they just felt bad and 
um, just all the death and destruction and nothing seemed to be happening and it clearly was pretty mismanaged but you know finally it seems like the uh, the people on the ground have have got it together and realized what works and what doesn't and you have the whole counterinsurgency element of it working which is I mean if you're going to do it man you got to be smart <laughs> you got to got to use your head and work with the people and get them on your side and and have enough bodies on the ground anyway even though i emphasize that the the war um you know in in the uh the questionnaire because it asks you to give priority to all these various topics so it's not just right. the, the idea is you start with 20 points and you assign them to uh i i think it's roughly a dozen different topics to to tell it what you think is more important to you so you know, if, if medical marijuana and drug policy is the most important issue, but you, you couldn't care less about gun control, uh, you can assign a zero to gun control and, a, you know, as, as many as you like to the uh, drug policy question, I think up to 20, in fact, <laughs> um, and, and, and so on down the list on all the different topics. And so it's the standard questionnaire in terms of do you think it ought to be more like this or more like that, but it weights based on your weighting. So that is interesting that it, it puts you... Uh, it puts you with Obama that way. It actually stuck me with a candidate I would rather shoot myself in the leg than vote for. So uh, it, it's, it's second choice is, is the person that I'm, I'm thinking about. Well, who did it, who did it attach you to? It, it attached me to Huckabee. I knew you were going to say that. Which really disturbed me, in fact, and I, I wanted to go back and change some of my answers. I thought I've, I've, I've almost deliberately downplayed several of the issues on which I know that uh, – that, that it would have lined me up with Huckabee. And, uh, it had him third for me, which astonished me. I guess what it is is he's, he's really odd. You know, he's a populist. And even though he's really staunchly a social conservative, um, he is in some regards a quote-unquote liberal in, in that he is a populist. You know, he is, he is there to uh, support the common man uh, economically in particular. And, you know, that's fine. It's just... Well, I'm Eric, a, we, we do have a call from the Los Angeles area. Oh, that'd so be good. I, I think let's let's go ahead and assume for the moment that that's pros and go through the intro. And if it's not, well, that'll be embarrassing. Well, why don't we why don't we find out first? All right, we can do that. <laughs> that's what I would do. Uh, caller from the three one zero, you're on the air. Who's this? Hello. Okay, caller, caller from area code three one zero, you're on BC Radio Live. Well, it could be no one at all. Uh, we're certainly not hearing anything. Hello, hello. You don't have him muted or anything, do you? Nope, definitely not. Hello? Hello? Hello. Is this, is this Proz? Yes, it is. All we right. are so happy to hear from you. <laughs> Indeed. Thank you, thank you. How are you? I'm good. Well, I, we spent a fair amount of time... <laughs> Setting things up, so I think I think we've explained to people what's going on and the fact that you have this movie out and and we gave your background that you're one of the famous Fugees and have had a tremendous solo career as well in in music, hip hop in particular, and and then you um, your latest project is this documentary film. Uh, why don't you uh, just go from there if that's if that's okay? Because we're going to have to try to go kind of quickly because. We were we were hoping to talk to you from nine o'clock on, but we'll certainly certainly go as long as we can with you. We do have another guest coming on, but I'm sure he wouldn't mind being delayed a little bit. Just tell us uh, how the idea for the film came about, and uh, 
and then we'll, we can get into some details. And of course, we want to tell people where they can see it. And there's a lot of elements to this. But why don't we just start with how did this come about? It's it's really an amazing, harrowing experience, I'm sure. Well, thank you. Um, basically, um, make a long story short, um, it happened about three years ago. Something real random. I was playing Scrabble with a couple of buddies of mine, and one of them brought up the idea of just going down there to kind of like to see it. And then a year later, they figured maybe I should be in it to experience it and give the audience a bird-eyes view of what skid row and homelessness is. So um, one thing just led to another. And, I'm, you know, I guess I was kind of like the common person, you know, thinking like, you know, it's not that difficult to be homeless because they're lazy or they're on drugs, you know, they're mentally ill, and I'm neither of the three. So, um, But I, when I went down there, it was a, a real shocking experience, you know, and I basically lived down the Skid Row, Los Angeles, for nine days. And basically the thing that someone would do if you were to become homeless and you had to survive, you know, and that was kind of like my experience. Yeah, it's amazing. I, I haven't seen the film yet, but I, I certainly went through the website and I watched the trailer and, and, you know, I've read all the synopsis and everything. And it just, it sounds like it really was an amazing experience, really frightening. And, you know, nine days, you know, people go, oh, well, you know, what what's nine days? But, I mean, nine days is a long time when you are totally on your own and you have no place to go. Could you tell us some of the feelings? It, it sounds like as you went through the experience you, you, your mind, you know, the way you perceive things really change. Could you walk us through that maybe a little bit? Yeah, you know, I mean, I'll give an example. The first day, you know, I thought, you know, all right, I'm going to figure it out. You know, I can use my ingenuity. You know, I went to Ivy League school. You know, I've been successful. So, you know, so I had to first figure out what is it that I'm going to do. Because everyone down in Skid Row, you have what's called a hustle, you know, whether it be prostitution, whether you're a dope dealer, whether you panhandle, whether you... So I figured panhandling was the best thing for me. So like in three, four hours, I made like 35 bucks, you know. So I was like, this is so easy. Why don't everybody just panhandle, you know? And, you know, I took the 35 hours and I blew it. I went to some restaurant, some big restaurant at the Standard Hotel, and felt like cause I said, if I could do thirty dollars in three hours, that means if I put six, seven hours, I could probably make seventy, eighty dollars. You know, that's how I was rationalized the whole situation. The following day, I made six dollars in seven hours. Wow! And see, I didn't understand that when it rains, people are not that friendly. They're not trying to roll down the windows. They're just trying to get to their destination. You know. And I didn't realize that. So, you know, when, you, when you're homeless, there's a whole new set of rules you have to learn to survive. And that was actually my first night sleeping on the sidewalk in a tent while it was raining. Rats were trying to come into my tent. I mean, it was because, you know, at that moment, you don't think about, you know, what you – where you lived or how comfortable you are, you think about that moment and it hits you right there because, you know, feelings is about moments, you know. So at that moment, when I was going through my experience, it was like anyone else who actually became homeless. And it was, I mean, it was hard, man. I was sitting back laying on the sidewalk and I'm thinking to myself, 
wow, this is depressing. You know, like you don't never fully sleep because all your senses are fully alerted because any little thing, you know, a footstep, a car, a noise, your body's always up because, you know, you don't have the comfortability of knowing you inside of a home with a door and it's locked, you know. The psychologics is so deep when you're down as when you're homeless. Your psychoanalysis just goes to a whole different level. Did you ask questions of the other people that you, you ran into or her down there on Skid Row to find out what sorts of experiences had led them there? Yeah, of course. I mean, that's what the documentary is about. The documentary is also about, you know, um, you know, we, 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 we interview a lot of people, and you see the story get weaving in between me, my experience, and other people's experiences. What were some of those other experiences? Which hits you most powerfully, do you think? Um, I mean, there's a lot, but there was one situation, several, but one where, um, you know, the guy, you know, one of the guys that we met who's in what they call an outreach um, instructor, basically it's someone who used to be homeless to clean up their act, and now they stay in the system to help other people to get out of the situation. One of them was this guy named Mike, who was a heroin addict. And um, so we befriended him, myself, the crew. And him and this other lady named Michelle, they were like our guide, you know. They always wanted to go to school. So um, the director and I decided, like, you know what, we're going to give them money to go to school. We're going to split it halfway. So we gave each of them, I think it was like 10000 a piece or something like that. So we gave both of them half a front. Now, Mike been clean for about four years, okay? And, you know, he constantly expressing to me how, you know, when you're a heroin addict and you stop, you have to make sure you don't have any distraction because any little thing you can slip. So anyway, make a long story short, he takes the money and um, he calls one of the director one day and said, hey, listen, I need to speak to you. And the director had a flat at that time. He said, you know, the money I gave me to go to school, um, I took some of that money and bought some scratch tickets. And we was like, he, um, Ross was like, really? Okay, you were supposed to use it for school. He said, no, but listen, one of the tickets, I just won $100,000. <laughs> <laughs> and that yeah. really happened? No, this is true. This everything been documented. It's in the documentary. This oh, I know. I, I but I'm saying that I, he, and that he wasn't lying. That had really happened well, he was, to him. Well, listen, he, he called Ron because what happened is downtown the mission. They were trying to get the ticket away from him. That's why he called the director to help him because he doesn't know. He didn't know what to do with that kind of money. So anyway, the director goes, helps him get the money. He had to, to get the money up front. He had to pay like twenty percent of the tax. So he got about eighty thousand of it. And this guy just went on some rampage, started to spend money, drink, and about three weeks later, he dies. Oh, my God. That's horrible. You know, yeah, it was horrible. I mean, that's one of the stories, you know. I mean, when you see the documentary, there's a lot of different stories in there that just... And then you see, you know, what's, what's interesting, you see a lot of people who are regular people who... You know, like, for example, I tell people this right now. You know, this is an important year because of the election, and obviously it's exciting because there's a lot going on, especially on the Democratic side. But, you know, health care and jobs, when you lose your jobs with a foreclosure going on, there are distant relatives to homelessness. And a lot of people don't realize that. 
you know. So a lot of people who were living in Skid Row were people who lost their jobs or lost, you know, because they don't have health care or, you know, whatever the issue, they lost their homes, and they don't have a support system like some of us might do. You know, like, for example, worst case scenario, anything ever happened to me, I mean, if I went down on my very, very, very luck, I can go back to my parents' home in Florida. A lot of people don't have that, so, you know, they end up on the streets. You know, people who are mentally ill or what we call on drugs on Skid Row, they only make up 20% of the population of the people who are homeless. Wow. 80% of them are not on drugs and they're not mentally ill. So you see it, it it's really a kind of a slippery slope, uh, and it could okay. happen to almost anyone, you're saying. Well, I mean, think, but, I mean, here's a fact that a lot of people don't realize. Seven out of ten Americans are one paycheck away from being homeless. And that's a fact. And especially now, we're going into recession. I mean, a lot of people losing their homes right now. I mean, I'm sure you know about the whole foreclosure situation. You know, you know, President Bush came with the stimulus package. It's not going to really do much, you know, to be honest with you. It's kind of like throwing a rock in the ocean, you know, a little ripple, but that's it, you know? Well, it's not going to get too many houses back, that's for sure. Definitely not, you know? You know, uh, once a month or so, I... Take my kids down to a homeless shelter in the Dallas area uh, as part of a thing through our church. We give out sandwiches to people. And I mean, I, I can definitely confirm that it's not just an LA problem. Here, here in Dallas, this is just within a shelter, so they they turn away the the, the people who are drunk or on drugs. Um, but even there, I, I would see people, and and you see them wearing nice clothes, and you see people from all different walks of life. You see people, you know, clearly well educated. Um, and, and, yeah, I've wondered many times how it is that they, they end up there. Yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's unfortunate situations, but, you know, and I, and, I, and they predict this year you're going to see a lot more people become homeless because, you know, like I said, you know, the economy is very hard right now. You know, we're going through a hard time with the war. There's a lot of, by the way, there's a lot of um, vets that are homeless also. A lot of them are downtown in Los Angeles, you know. So now, now your, your movie, your movie Skid Row, hits DVD on March the 18th, and I know people can find out more information about it at skidrowthemovie.com. Right. Uh, is there any is there any place between now and then that people can see it in, in other screenings? What, what we're going to do is we're coming to different cities, which uh, I think Dallas is going to be one of them. Also, we're coming to different cities to do like a day or two of screening in the theaters. So you know you can go. Um, I think on that site you just told me and get more information about it. But March, I think, 18th or 29th is when it actually comes out on DVD. And, you know, we're going to do a lot of, you know, campaign around it, you know. So, I mean, because it's a serious situation. I think people need to understand, like, you know, homelessness is not a disease. It is a condition, you know. And I know a lot of people, you know, because I used to be like that. You know, I see someone who's homeless and I kind of, like, would ignore them, you know. You know, sometimes just acknowledging that person, whether you have the money or not, you know, if you don't want to give it to them, just, you know, if you can just tell that person, sorry, I don't have anything on me, that alone can motivate somebody to want to get out of their situation. You won't, you'll be surprised how powerful just to acknowledge someone who's homeless, what it can do for that person's psyche. So, but just talking to someone rather than walking by? 
Well, when I mean talking, I don't I don't think you should get into a full dialogue with that person. But I'm saying like, you know, say because a lot of times we'll see someone who's homeless and they're like, excuse me, you have any change? Because that's what they're asking for. And we'll just pass right by them. Don't even give them eye contact. Almost like they're invisible. So, you know, I tell a lot of people, I say, listen, it's a situation, look, we don't have no real solution to it. I don't think there's going to be a resolution to homelessness in the next day or so, you know. But what you can do, your part is, if you have some change, you can get that person to change. If you don't, just say, sorry, sir, I don't have anything. Oh, ma'am, I don't have anything. I'm sorry. And that's enough. I know because I live there and I've seen how it affects people and how they how they feel like, you know, they're not the invisible society, although we like to think that. Because, you know, homeless is an embarrassing thing, and, you know, we like to feel like, you know, we, we it's, it's embarrassing. We don't want to deal with it. It's not really sexy, you know. We're more focusing on our Starbucks who have the Motorola phone. or You know, so we kind of like in our own world. But, like I said, when you're homeless... Because I wasn't on drugs, you know, but people treated me just as bad, almost like I committed a crime. And, I mean, you have to see the documentary to actually see exactly what I'm talking about because you would experience it the same way because everything that happened to me, you see my true initial emotion right there because it was shocking to me. Like, it was like, oh, wow, you know. Were you in danger? Um, there were danger around me, you know, um, but, um, you know, we had, I I had three directors 24 hours a day, so, you know, if something was to happen, they can get to me at a reasonable time, you know, but yeah, I mean, somebody got shot and killed, like, 40 feet away from me, that one night I was sleeping there, I didn't realize, I thought it was a firecracker when I heard the sound, I didn't know what it was, it it wasn't until the next morning when we saw the news, that someone got shot there, um, you know. But you know, Skid Row is a community. You know, it's about forty thousand people in an eight-block radius. You know, that's a lot of people yeah. sleeping on the street. Yeah. How much do they interact with each other? I mean, do people? Is it an actual society, or are it's people kind of on their own? Exactly, it's a society. It's a society. It's is like there a, a hierarchy? Are those it's, are those at the funny, top? I was just about I was just about to say that there is a hierarchy. There's the first class, you got the second class, and you got the dirt dirt poor. Is that deep, right? You have the families and the children. Like you got people who like have their tent set up a certain part of Skid Row that is permanent. Like where I live, that is called like the transitional part because we were around, we were in front of the storefront, so we can set up our tent from six in p.m. to six in the morning. And we have to pack all our stuff up and move because it's a business. And then, but the other section where you can have a permanent tent, you can't just come up there and set up a tent. You know, you have to, it's almost like if you were buying an apartment, you know, like a high rise. Like I live in New York also. So I live like on Park Avenue and you have to fill application and it takes six months for the board to accept you. Believe it or not, I mean, you don't fill application down a skid row, but it's something similar to that to live on that side of town. Interesting. That's deep, right? Very were interesting. You, were you recognized at all out there? I mean, you've got a pretty famous face. 
You know, it's funny. You'll see in a documentary, like, two or three people recognize me. But, you know, obviously I denied it. You know, and plus I was raggedy. I had a full beard, you know. But, you know, two people did recognize me. Well, they thought I looked like who they thought I was, you know. Obviously I denied it, you know. Yes, that, that, was... that I guess is when you know you've arrived, when even dressed raggedy, growing a beard, people still say, you know, you look just like that guy, Prize. You, you'll you see it in a documentary when you see it. Somebody was like, hey, you look like Proswell. I was like, and, you know, obviously I was like, who's that? That guy from the Fuji's. I said, Fuji. I was like, oh, my God, I wish I was Pros. I wouldn't be here right now. And the guy looked at me for, for like, a long stare. Then he said, yeah, you're right. He said, but, man, <laughs> something about you. <laughs> if, if you had to, if you had to express what you came away from this experience in, in say in a, in a sentence how how would you do that i mean i know it's impossible but w- what did you take away from the experience you know what i took from that experience is and this is going to sound very cliche but you know the thing about cliche is although people say it a lot but it really means a lot you know what i learned from it is I've learned to appreciate, you know, life and appreciate the things that I have, you know. You know, a lot of us, you know, always always want more and more, you know, we don't appreciate what we have or who we have around us, you know. I learned that, you know, tomorrow is not ever promised to you. So while you could do what you can, just do it. Just, just, you know, you have to really plot and plan, you know, and anything can happen. And I'm going to give you two examples where anything can happen. And um, one of them is a sports um, example. Another one's going to be a political example. You know, my favorite team is the, are, are, are the Patriots. And the Patriots, we all know, went 18-0, and and they went to the Super Bowl. Now, I'm from New York, but I hate the Giants. <laughs> no one, except for the, the Giants themselves, did not believe. I mean, they had to amp themselves and say, yeah, we're going we to give them a fight. We're going to beat the Patriots. But I don't really believe they believed they could have beaten the Patriots. And no one thought they were going to beat the Patriots. But that one minute when they got a, a little bit comfortable – is how the Patriots lost the game, which is considered one of the greatest upset. In- right? Right. So that's what I learned from it. Now, when you look on a political side, nine months ago, Hillary Clinton already declared her the front runner for the Democrats. Period. It was like, ah, it's the Clinton machine, you know. There's no way, you know, who's Barack? No one ever heard of him. He's, you know, low, low, low-end senator from Illinois, and plus he's an African-American, and okay. Right now, he won, last night, a lot of the red states that Democrats normally would not win. And that goes to show, you see, Hillary thought that she had it in the bad. She felt like she was entitled to be the Democrat nominee and then to possibly win the White House. Well, now she has to fight for dear life because he's given up a big fight. He's a movement, and she's just the Clintons. 
And that's what I've learned from Skid Row is, like, you never know. You can never get too comfortable. Don't take things for granted. Don't take nothing. You know what this guy said to me in Skid Row? He said, you know what's the one thing I miss the most? And I was like, what? He said, man, just being able to have my keys and putting in my pocket, keys to my apartment. And I was like, wow. You know, we don't think about our keys. It's like we take that for granted. Like, yeah, yeah, that's my keys to my apartment. You open the door, you get in. Okay, cool. But to him, he said, man, that's priceless. Can you imagine? Wow. That after is watching this, after watching this movie, are there? I mean, what what would you hope that people would do after watching this this documentary you've made? Well, I mean, you know, the, the thing I'm, there's not. I mean, listen, you can go volunteer, but you know, everybody going to volunteer that's good. You know, you can send money to your local, um, you know, homeless shelter. I just think that you know it's deeper than all of that. I think it's more about. Americans, you know, we hold our leaders responsible and accountable for the way our country moves. Like, you know, in Europe, like I travel a lot. When I go to Europe or Asia, they cannot phantom the idea that there are people that are homeless in America. Like, to them, it's like, no, that's impossible. That just doesn't make any sense. America, like, it just doesn't make any sense to them. So, you know, I think that what people have to, you know, besides what you do for yourself internally and, you know, the little immediate things you can do, like if you see someone, you know, just, you know, respect them. You say, okay, they may not have a home like you do, but you could just still give them the same level of respect that you would give someone who lives in a penthouse or in a mansion. But I think that we need to start, you know, we got to take America back. I mean, we should not be having these kind of, doesn't make sense in an eight block radius that you have forty thousand people walking in and out in an eight block radius. California is in the top twenty largest economy in the world. Yeah. Well, that doesn't make any sense. It doesn't. You're right, and it's really powerful stuff. And I admire you very much for for being willing to to go through this experience and you know to set aside your lifestyle, your your hard earned lifestyle that you've been, you know, putting together for the last 10, 15 years and to just set that all aside and, and to go off and 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 make it on your own for nine days uh, and, and then make a documentary out of it. It's, it's really powerful stuff. Um, I, I think we need to move on, unfortunately, to, although it's really been fascinating, love to talk to you again and good luck with the film. Let's tell people um, that they can go to eventful.com and they can actually vote you were talking about earlier you're making appearances and the, and the uh, film is showing in cities throughout the country for a day or two. You can actually go to eventful.com and vote for your city. And yeah, right. if, you go to, if you go to skidrowthemovie.com, the very first page you come to uh, gives you a chance to uh, demand via eventful that the screening come to your city. So I know I've, I've gone in and done that for Dallas. I suspect... Uh, uh, Eric will go in and, and find Ohio there on the list, and, and Lisa can do the same. Um, I, I know I, I would love to catch a screening of this if it manages to make it to Dallas. We're, we're currently at number 15, so I'm hoping to push us up on the list a little bit. 
Well, and then there's always uh, last resort if if you it doesn't come to your area or for whatever reason uh, pick up the DVD. DVD right 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 and that's uh, I'm I'm gonna do that for sure really a pleasure to talk with you we didn't even get to go back a little, uh, to your to your musical career I'm a huge Fuji fan I'm I'm sitting here right now looking at both of the uh, the uh, translator crew the first one the blunt oh, wow. reality and the score and i have okay. listened to them many many times i i'm a i'm an old dj i was a dj for 20 some years so i i played both of those albums a lot of the tunes and i think they're really well put together and i really admire you as a musical artist as well thank you well, uh, thank you We've got a little sample from the, uh, uh, I guess, from the soundtrack for Skid Row. I've got about 30 seconds of this song, uh, OK. And, right. um, and so far, actually, our next guest is also not on the line. So at the end of that music, we might have a chance to ask one or two musical questions. If you don't ah, well, I thought he'd been waiting. Sorry about that. <laughs> Paul is not on the line? He's not, no. So, uh, Paul, if you're out there, you can call in to 646-595-3195. In the meantime, here's a sample from uh, OK by Praz. My mind's so baffled, but I've learned to take the road. That's less travel. And it's okay, it's okay, it's so right, it's so right. Hug your kid, hug your kid, it's so right, it's so right. It's my mama. Oh, my mama. Nothing's promising, and not even tomorrow. Don't take life for granted. Our days are numbered. I love the rain when lightning strikes. The sound of thunder. Not that song kind of encapsulates a bit of what we've been talking about earlier in terms of lessons that you've taken away from uh, your adventures on in, in Skid Row. Right. So I, I do hope people will visit skidrowthemovie.com and check out the DVD on March 18th. And uh, Eric, you said you had some questions related to Fuji's. Well, yeah, just just the the your your music career. Uh, I, I noticed just in in reading the bio, you guys met when you were really young. You met Lauren and uh, and Wycliffe when you guys were really young. Is that right? Yeah, I met Lauren when she was eleven years old. Wow! So how did how did it all finally come together uh, as the Fugees? Uh, do you all have? I know you you were born in Haiti, right? No, I was born in New York. You were born, was born in Haiti. Okay, okay, okay. But is your background or your parents Haitian? Yeah, my father's from Haiti. My mother's from Panama. Ah, okay, I see. So, so, but you were born there. All right. Well, one of the bios was wrong. It said you were born there, but came when you were you were young. Okay, I got it. Um, so the the Fuji. Maybe we tell people who weren't around at the time, or, or no. What, what what does that mean? What did that mean to you guys? The Fuji's element. The Fuji's was just basically, you know, um, it's short for refugees, you know. So we felt like we represented everyone who felt like, you know, they didn't fit in at some place, you know what I mean? So our music was about taking refuge. You know, we was, you know, a social conscious group when we came out. And that's what we wanted to represent. So which kind of like what I'm doing now, and it's like an extension to... You know, the Fuji's, you know, like, you know, very social conscience, you know, and try to entertain, but at the same time, give people something to think about. Yeah, when, when you, I, I was thinking that you guys did uh, No Woman, No Cry uh, on on uh, the score, of course, and that right. the line, it's, it's so visually, you know, powerful and in a government yard in, in uh, Kingston. Okay. Right. Right. Uh. 
So, I, I, yeah, I really do see continuity there. Um, now, you guys, for, for, for all the time you put in together and then you made it and had, had this you know, enormous album, Grammy winning, and, and you were all became stars, um, it didn't last that much longer after that. Was it simply because you, you were going to go off, it was time to go off on your own, or, or did other um, issues? No, I mean, it was because, you know, there was internal conflict, and then, you know, at some point, um, you know, Lauren Hill just kind of like, she just she just wasn't at the right place, you know what I mean? So, and it's unfortunate, you know, it's just unfortunate that it had to be like that, you know, but, um, you know, it's a classic rock and roll story, you know, but, you know, I wish her the best, you know, I'm still in contact with um, my other constituent, Wyclef, you know, Right, but um, you know, Lauren, she's just going through what she's going through. You know, it's funny. You know, I was telling someone just the other day. I don't know what's going on, but in the last year or so, a lot of these women been going through a lot of things. You got Amy Winehouse, Britney Spears, Lindsay Lohan, Lauren Hill. I don't know. Is there a bug in the air? I don't know what it is. You know, everybody's just. They're just drifting away from society. It's know. an interesting point. You know, one one explanation could be, and I'm sure I'm way oversimplifying, but, you know, as women become more and more, uh, quote-unquote, like men or equal to men or, or have the same, um, quote-unquote, uh, opportunities as men, then the, the, the ills that have plagued men all along are catching up with them. In other words, uh, you know, women as women became working more and they were they started smoking more and drinking more and all that, they started having the same problems, health problems that men did. I'm talking about, of course, over the last 40, 50 years. But, you know, they started having the heart problems and the cancer rates went up and all that. So, uh, you know, possibly within the music world, as women are becoming more independent and and uh, more on their own and controlling their own destinies, they're fall especially young people. You know, really young. Uh, you're talking about people, some of them in their early twenties. They're falling into some of the same traps uh, that have always, uh, or that have typically uh, more plagued men. That brings up a question: what, what percentage would you say of the people on Skid Row are women? The percentage of that are women, I would say about. I mean, this is not actual facts, but I would, based on what I saw, I would think there's probably more women than men. Really? So probably be like, yeah. I mean, obviously, because there's more women on the planet than men anyway. <laughs> That's true. But, but yeah, there's a lot of women on Skid Row. I, I've seen more women than I've seen men. Interesting. Because you know you would think they have a whole other a whole other set of issues. You know you have all the the sexual issues. Uh, you know I would think, man, what an awful awful way to live. Yeah, no, it's definitely it's not a good thing at all. And from from your site, I know you you list some some facts about there being eighty eighty thousand homeless in L.A. County. Over eleven thousand live on the streets of Skid Row. Over five thousand are under eighteen. Yeah. I thought that was that was pretty amazing. A lot of young children. Yeah, yeah. Well, that makes sense if you think about it. A lot of them are probably runaways, you know, family issues, mm -hmm. and 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 hey, if if you can't live with your family, you know, if you're a kid, 
and, and your your family's not available to you, or you just don't have a family anymore, then you really don't have anywhere to go. Yeah. It's tough. Well, which, uh, you have an album coming out too, don't you? Yeah, I have an album coming out in May, end of May. What you direction did, have you gone with that? Man, I went left. <laughs> you took a hard left, huh? Yeah, I went to the left. Which, which, went, which street? What was the name of that street? Man, it was called, um, you know what it is? It's like, <laughs> it's like if I was a Republican and they start calling, labeling me a liberal, you know what I mean? That's like how far I went, you know, you know, totally, you know, but it's it's interesting. You know, I want to experiment. I want to do a little something a little bit different. Still keep the essence of what, you know, my sound is, but just a little bit to the left. I, I did a lot. I got a lot of 60s influence. Huh. So, yeah. That sounds good too. And then you've also got a movie. You've uh, you've finished filming. Mutant Chronicles is due out later this year. Yeah, Mutant Chronicles with John Malkovich, Thomas Jane, Ron Perlman. That's going to be uh, a real excited. I'm excited about that. And um, and I'm continuing to do you know more movies. So yeah, you know it's it's been a good. I appreciate every little thing, man. I tell you, after coming from Skid Row. I appreciate it all. Yeah, I mean, in a way, it, it, it's almost like a near-death experience for you, where you really do see your life in a new light. And see, it sounds like it ultimately was really a very positive thing for you, because you don't take things for granted anymore, it sounds no. like. Hmm. Well, thank you very much uh, for being on the show tonight. I know uh, you've spent a little bit more time than expected. Uh, well, you thank remind- you for having me. <laughs> Uh, we well, I'm glad we got a chance really to talk about your film. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm really itching to see this now, and frustrated that I may have to wait till March. So, uh, you, you've done a good job of of selling the movie. Okay, thank you. Thank well, you. living the movie, he lived the movie. <laughs> that's right. I think yeah. that's why it's so fascinating. I think that's why it's more powerful than if it had been a fictional movie that showed the same thing. The fact that what right. people see in that movie is real. It really happened. Exactly. Right. So it really has an immediacy, uh, it sounds like. Mm-hmm. Well, we've been talking to Praz tonight, uh, first of the Fugees, and then as a solo artist, Praz had great success uh, in hip-hop, and there's also been a number of films, including the upcoming Mutant Chronicles. Uh, his latest project, Skid Row, he spent nine days living as a homeless man in downtown L.A. Uh, we're glad to have him on the show. Go to skidrowthemovie.com to demand the showing in your area and to find out more details about the DVD and the movie in general. Uh, thank you very much to Pros for being on the show with us. This uh, Tune in also this Friday night at midnight Eastern for the Cyber Mix Tape Show broadcasting live from the International Hip Hop Showcase at the Roxy. Uh, that's at blogtalkradio.com slash show. Also check out blogcritic.org slash bcradio to see the entire BC Radio Network schedule. Thanks to Eric and Lisa. This has been BC Radio Live. We broadcast live every Wednesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern Time, so be sure to visit us live to participate in the chat room and watch the live video feed. If you missed the live broadcast, audio archives are available online, or you can subscribe to the podcast to have BC Radio Live delivered to you each week. Until next week, aloha!